There's a story about a proud young man who came to Socrates, or as some people may call Socrates, asking for knowledge. He walked up to the masculine philosopher and said, Oh great Socrates, I come to you for knowledge. So Socrates recognized a pompous numbskull when he saw one. He led the young man through the streets to the sea and chest deep in water. Then he asked, then he asked what do you want? Knowledge, oh wise Socrates, said the young man with a smile. Socrates put up his strong hands on the man, on man's shoulders and pushed him under. Thirty seconds later, Socrates led him up. What do you want? He asked again. Wisdom, asked the young man, as the young man sputtered. Oh great and wise Socrates. Socrates crunched, crunched him under again. Thirty seconds passed, thirty-five, forty. Socrates let him up. The man was gasping. What do you want, young man, between heavy breathing breaths, the fellow wheezed. Knowledge, oh wise, wonderful. Socrates jammed him again. Forty seconds passed, fifty seconds. What do you want? And the young man screamed, air. The young man screeched, I need air. When you want knowledge as, as you have just wanted air, then you will have knowledge. We live in a world where we can access as much knowledge and information we'd like in just the palm of our hands. With just our fingertips, we can access information from around the world in seconds. It's available to us, and I admit that it has benefits. I think all of us have, in one way or another, benefit to it. I can get um, studies from pastors and past pastors and theologians from around the world. I can get them. I have easy, easy access. I can get news from around the world. I mean, it's all there, right in the palm of my hands. But did you know that there's a special kind of knowledge, a kind of knowledge that, that we have access to? as believers that we have access to that we can't get, that isn't anything that we can learn from TV, textbooks, or even the entire internet. Well, that's what I'm going to do this morning. This morning's message, I've titled it, The Source of True Wisdom, because our text this morning will show us where true wi wisdom comes from and how we can obtain this kind of wisdom. With the, with the words Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I hope to show you that the source of true wisdom comes from God and that it can only be obtained by accepting the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So like I normally do before I get into the reading, let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, uh, we, we do, we come before you right now with, with just love and adoration and, and humbleness. Lord, because it's morning like this that you show us, that you show me, Lord, that it's, this is all about you, Lord. That um, we must be faithful with what you've given us, what you have for us, Lord. And we understand these things because you have given us that wisdom. You have given us that knowledge, Lord. And so now as we open up your word, I just pray that we just will be able to learn more from you. Our ears will be opened and our hearts will totally receive everything that you have to say to us, Lord. Whether it's a person listening online or whether it's someone here. Lord, this message was prepared for a reason, Lord, and, and I trust in that and we believe in that. And so now, again, as we open up your word, speak to us. I want to glorify you. I want to learn from you. I want to gain wisdom and knowledge. Fill us with your spirit. Fill this room with your love. Amen. All right, as I said, we're going to be in 
2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm sorry, let me repeat that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's where we will be. Um, and just as a quick review, there, um, I know we skipped a week because last week was Easter. Um, we had a special service then. And now as we continue with chapter 2, um, there was, Paul was writing this letter to the church, to the Christian church in Corinth, and there's been a lot of problems. There's been a lot of, he's, he's addressing a lot of issues, problems that have happened, that have occurred there. And one of the first ones he addresses is divisions in the church. The, the church had broken up into factions. Some were following one person. Um, some were following him. Other, peop other people were following um, Cephas. Um, other people were following Apollos. Um, there was just fractions, factions, divisions, um, cliques. And so he's addressing this. So now here in the beginning of chapter 2, he's, um, he's finishing up his thoughts on that, on that, on that subject, on that issue. Um, and so that's what we're looking at here at the beginning. So I want, to keep, I want you to keep that in mind as we read the beginning of this chapter. Um, so here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul writes in verse 1, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. In these first five verses of chapter 2, Paul takes the Christians at Corinth down memory lane. He's reminding them of a few things. He rem is reminding them of the time he first met them and they first met him. And he does this for three main reasons. First of all, he reminds them of who he was when he announced the mystery of God to them. In Acts chapter 18, we're told about the story of Paul's arrival at Corinth. And there, when he got there, he met a couple named Aquila and Priscilla who were tent makers like him. And that for over a year and a half, he supported himself he made a living making tents while at the same time ministering to them and getting to know the community. So here he reminds them that he was no one impressive. No, no one impressive. He wasn't a big shot. He wasn't this guy that just rolled into town and say, in a limousine and just say, or in a gold um, carriage and said, hey, look at me, I'm here, someone important. He was just no one impressive. Or he wasn't someone see, speaking or seeking the spotlight. He was just a guy. He was just a guy who shared the mystery of God plainly and simply while working hard and serving the people at, of Corinth in any way he could. Now, the second thing he does here is he reminds them of the unity they had when they, they accepted the message he preached. Paul tells them in verse 2 that while he was with them, he decided to forget everything he knew. He decided to forget all his education, all his wisdom, uh, human wisdom that he had attained. And he decided to forget everything about that and knew and wanted to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So you see, although he was an educated man and he could debate with the best of them, he chose not to use those skills to make an impression on them. He did this because he wanted to focus. He wanted them to focus. He wanted the Christians at Corinth to focus on the message and not on the messenger. And as they began to accept the message, as they began to accept the good news of Jesus Christ, they started to become united. They started to grow together as a community. They started to share things. And we see examples of this in, in the early chapters of Acts. They, just be, they were just united, not under Paul, but just under the message. 
But somewhere along the way, they had forgotten that and began to divide themselves into cliques, loyal to him, loyal to Apollos, loyal to Paul, I mean to Peter. So here now he's reminding them of the central focus of the message he taught so that once again they can come together. So once again they can unite, they can become unified. Not under all these men, not under himself, but under Christ. And the third thing he does here is that he reminds them of how God's power had been revealed through the gospel message. In verse 3, Paul underlines his sense of personal inadequacy while he was among them. The weakness here he refers to is, is um, that thorn in the flesh he mentions in the second letter in, of Corinthians. And the fear and trembling may refer to his lack of confidence. His lack of confidence in himself, not in the message, but in himself to be able to deliver this message. But in spite of the weakness, of his weaknesses and fear, he reminds them in verses 4 and 5 that when he delivered the message of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, he didn't do it with persuasive words of wisdom. He didn't do it, he didn't do it that way so that their faith wouldn't be grounded on clever arguments based on his own opinion. Rather, rather, he did it with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Meaning, their faith is based on the most absolute form of proof, the sure proof of God's Spirit and power. Let me share with you a story that illustrates what this looks like. When Benjamin Franklin wished to interest the people of Philadelphia in street lighting, he didn't try to persuade them by just talking about it. He hung a beautiful lantern on a long bracket in front of his home. He kept the glass highly polished. Every evening at the approach of dusk, he carefully lit the wick. People saw the light from a distance, and when they walked in its light, found that it helped them to avoid sharp stones on the pavement. Others placed a light at their homes, and soon Philadelphia recognized the need for street lighting. You see, you don't need persuasion tactics as others learn the peace and joy you have in your life in Christ. They will just recognize, they will just recognize their need for Him in the same way that the story uh, illustrates. Just hang up that, that lantern, hang up that wick, and then people will eventually say, yeah, you know what, I need Jesus. I need that light as well. Now, there may be some who are just completely desire, that have a desire within them to share the good news of Jesus Christ, but that desire is sometimes overcome with you're overcome with fear. You're overcome with, with thoughts of your own inadequacy, as though you don't know enough. Well, verses 1 through 5, they should put you at ease. They should actually bring you some comfort. And let me tell you why. First of all, the gospel message isn't rocket science. How you share it, how you share the gospel message isn't dependent on your intellect it is, and it isn't dependent on your speaking ability. You see, motivational and persuasive words alone will not convince someone to believe in Jesus. Neither will a PhD in theology or even being a biblical expert. That's, that's not going to convince someone to believe in Jesus. Sharing what Jesus Christ did for you and, what he could, and that He could do it for others is the best way to share the gospel message. I've known many people that have come to know Jesus through someone else's verbal testimony or just by the way they conduct themselves. 
Someone once said, live in such a way that those who know you, live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. Secondly, the message isn't about you. It's about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When the emphasis of the message when the emphasis of the message is the cross of Jesus Christ and His resurrection, the focus of attention will not be on you, but on Jesus. We often worry about telling our friends and family about Jesus because they're the most familiar with us. They're the ones who know the most about us. They know what kind of past we had. They know that if we've been shady people, they know that if we've been insincere, dishonest, excuse me, they know. So we're like, oh man, I can't tell them about Jesus because they're just going to think I'm a fake or a fraud. They're going to think that I'm not for reals. And that's intimidating. That can be scary. Well, if this is you, let me, let me just tell you this. When your message is about Jesus Christ, when your message is about how Jesus Christ rescued you, and you exemplify what faithful obedience looks like, it's not, it's not you who they see, who they'll see, but Christ in you. You see, God speaks to unbelievers the loudest through the genuine faith of Christian believers. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now keep this in mind. Those who reject your testimony, those who reject what you have to say, what Christ did for you, are not rejecting you. They're not saying, you know what, I don't want anything to do with you. No, they're, rather they're rejecting He who hung on the cross. They're rejecting Jesus. When you make the message more about Jesus and less about you, the less you will be offended when you're rejected for that message. And thirdly, you're not the author and creator or sustainer of a person's faith. God is. People believe and place their faith in Jesus Christ when God demonstrates His power through His Word. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, Faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Through the Gospels, throughout the Gospels, there are many examples of, peopi- of people hearing and seeing everything that Jesus did Yet they never believed he was the Messiah. Why? Why didn't, they, why didn't some of these people believe, even though Jesus did these miracles, even though Jesus did all these wonderful things and taught the truth and, and wasn't able to be ever stumped, why didn't they believe? Because of the stubbornness of their heart. And that's what we see today. Many people know about Jesus, but they don't believe because it's not convenient for them. Either there's some reason, one reason or another, that's probably one of them, but it's just not convenient for them. Or, you know, they've got other things they've got to take care of first. They don't want to believe because of stubbornness. You just, no, I'm not going to do it. They're like a rock there on the ground. You know, and they just, they don't want to believe because they just don't want to. So quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, Jesus said this about them in Matthew, in Matthew 13, uh, 15. For, this, for the people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back, and I will, will heal them. So the point I'm making is this. You have absolutely no say in anyone's faith. 
a person will come to faith when they hear the message, when they accept it, when they receive it, when they repent of their sins, and they, it just, be, when they finally just say, okay, I, I, I understand, I get it. And thereafter, it is God who increases their faith. It is God who just makes that faith grow. Now in this section, in the next section we'll be covering, Paul clarifies the beneficial wisdom that must be compatible with the truths of Christianity. He develops this point by contrasting two pairs of people, Christians versus non-Christians, which we will be covering this week in this chapter, and the rest of this chapter, and spiritual Christians versus worldly Christians, which we'll cover next week in chapter 3. So let's pick up in verse, verse 6 here. Verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. We do, however, speak of a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we are speaking, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew, the wis knew this wisdom, because if they had known it, they would, have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love Him. Now God has revealed these things to us by His Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. While there is a type of foolishness, there is a foolishness to the gospel, and I spoke on that the past couple weeks, um, actually when we covered 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there is also a wisdom that the Corinthians must understand in order to, to overcome the, decisive, the decisiveness that he has heard about, that he, is, um, that he knows about. In these verses, Paul introduces the theme of this wisdom and its acceptance by believers and the rejection by unbelievers. Paul begins by clarifying any possible misunderstanding that God had no wisdom by writing, We do, however, speak of a wisdom among the mature. Now here, more than likely, he's referring to those who believe in Jesus as opposed to those who don't, carnal unbelievers. This kind of wisdom, he says, is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this, of this age who are coming to nothing. Paul here is speaking of the religious and the political leaders of the day. He could also be referring to the demonic powers behind the opposition of the gospel. The wisdom these mature Christians have, he explains in verse 7, is God's secret and hidden wisdom, which He planned for our ultimate glory before the world began. Now, imagine that for a second. Now think about that. There is a secret and hidden wisdom. If, if you or anybody was aware of that, wouldn't you want to know what it is? Wouldn't you want to know everything about it? Wouldn't you want that secret to be revealed to you? Wouldn't you want to know what it is? Well, He does. He reveals it. He, he shows you what it is. That secret and hidden wisdom is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The concept of a crucified Messiah was not clearly understood in the Old Testament times, and it, it was still not grasped, grasped in Paul's time. They still didn't understand it even to that day by those who rejected Jesus, and I think we see that today too. People want to gain so much wisdom and understanding, and they want to, you know, they want to be one with God, they want to commune with God, they want to have this, these spiritual experiences, but they want to do it without having nothing to do with Jesus. Without having nothing, without not having nothing to do with being forgiven of their sins, repenting of their sins, 
by accepting and believing in the resurrection. They just don't want nothing that they want other experience. They want to experience that. They want to have this wisdom, but they just don't want to do it the way God has ordained it, the way God wants to reveal it to them. How did God reveal this hidden wisdom? Well, he tells us in verse 10, Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. God's Spirit, or, or as many of you guys know, know it as, the Holy Spirit, who brings people to Christ, now reveals it to them, what was once unknown to be fully understood. God's Spirit, or Holy Spirit, who brings people to Christ, now reveals to them what was once unknown to be fully understood. And then he tells us the reason God revealed this wisdom for our glory. So in other words, God revealed the gospel message so that we may be saved and enjoy eternity with Him, so that we may enjoy just being eternally with Him in His presence. Man, just that alone, the message of being saved, it is a powerful enshrinement. We're going to be eternally with the Lord. We'll never be separated. We're just going to be with Him forever, experiencing His love forever. Paul makes it clear in this passage that there are two kinds of people. Those who have been given God's wisdom and those who have the wisdom of the world. Here's how you can tell the difference between the two. Those who have been given the wisdom of God have this spirit and are born-again believers. Not born-again believers, born-again believers. True born-again believers understand that they're sinners, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, and have placed their faith and trust in Him. They believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by Him. Those who have the wisdom of the world are non-believers. These are the people that are relying on their own human wisdom, educational knowledge, or religious traditions and institutions to get them through life. They're the ones Paul spoke of in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. What else do these verses tell us about these two types of people? Well, if you're a born-again believer, verse 7 says, you've been given a wisdom, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory, for your glory. If you are a born-again believer, God has given you assurances and promises that one day, whether it's after you die, take your last breath, or at the rapture, you will be with Him forever. Non-believers who have the wisdom of this age, verse 6 says, are coming to nothing. What does that mean? They're coming to nothing. If you've never been born again, or those, if you guys know people that are not born again believers, the Bible is clear what their or your eternal destination will be. First, Thess- First Thessalonians Chapter 1, verse 9 says, They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. Eternally separated versus eternally in His presence. These are the two kinds of people we are surrounded with. These are the kind of people that we interact with. I personally hope that I will one day see everyone that I interact with in eternity in heaven with the Lord. And I hope one day if anyone's hearing this, this message online that you will at that time approach me and say, yeah, you know, I heard your messages and man, 
you know, it, it really blessed me. But there are also a group of people, and you may know some of them, they may be friends of yours, they may be family members of yours, that don't want anything to do with Christ, that are completely, un just, they're unbelievers, they don't believe. They say they're a Christian just because it sounds good, because they, maybe they're Americans and they think they go hand in hand, but there's no real genuine faith. And then for these unbelievers, these are the ones, again, that are going to be eternally separated from God. That's something I can't even imagine what that would be like. So now that Paul distinguishes believers and non-believers, he explains how this wisdom is revealed and how it's obtained. So let's finish up. Let's pick up in verse 10 and read the rest of this chapter. Verse 10. I know we read verse 10 already, but we're going to read it once more. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what is given freely, what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught to us by, by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He is not able to understand since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For he, for who has known the Lord's mind, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Again, once again, a very powerful passage here. Because it helps us understand, it helps you, it may help you understand where you are with your walk. Do you understand spiritual things? Do you want to understand spiritual things? Do you want to understand God? Do you want to grow closer and grow and just mature as a Christian? Do you want to have fellowship with Him? But you just, it's not clicking. It's, you're not, it's not, you don't understand it. Well, here this passage will break it down, explains what's going on here. In verses 6 through 10, Paul told us about God's wisdom and why it's accepted by believers and rejected by non-believers. In these verses we read, he elaborates those responses by contrasting those who have the Spirit and those who do not. First, he tells us who the Spirit is, what, God, what God's Spirit does, and why He gives us, gives us His Spirit. In verses 11 and 12, he says that the Spirit of the Spirit is God's Spirit who knows the thoughts of God. He says the Spirit comes from God. And he also says in the end of verse 12 that he gives us the Spirit so that we, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. The next thing Paul does explain is, is explain how God's Spirit teaches us wisdom not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Every time we hear or read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit explains the truth of its meaning. If the Holy Spirit is, is truly working in your life, God's Spirit will speak to you, will, will teach you these things, will explain these things to you, and come out of reading God's Word and be like, ah, this, is, this doesn't mean anything, I don't get it, it's, just, it's meaningless to me. No, you will receive it, you will understand it, you will be like, man, this is powerful. Even the simple words like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whole sense, that whole phrase, it ought to be mind-blowing. And you can do a whole teaching just on that passage alone. You can spend hours on that alone, and it can totally blow your mind. 
The same Spirit who teaches and explains God's Word also lives in the spiritual person and helps them to understand it, helps you to understand it. So it works like this, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is, God sends down the Holy Spirit, we receive it, it speaks to the Spirit that's already living in us, and then it flows out, and, it, and then the Spirit works through us to speak to others and to be able to share with others as, as that light shines in our lives. You see, this kind of wisdom, this kind of knowledge that we receive from God by human wisdom, Finally, in verses 14 and 15, Paul informs the reader the difference between those who possess the uh, God Spirit and those who don't. Christians who have the Holy Spirit have access to and the ability to comprehend spiritual truths related to Christ because of the illuminating work of the Spirit for them. Therefore, Christians are not subject to any merely human evaluation that is, one that does not take God's perspective into account. Whereas non-believers are unable to receive what comes from the Spirit because it is foolishness to Him. He is not able to understand it since it's, since it's evaluated spiritually. This is a person who in his ordinary, unredeemed state of earthly existence, which he inherited excuse me, from the fall, such a person is unable to understand Christian truth. They just can't. They can't understand it. They can't perceive it. They can't get it. No matter how much you try to talk to them about what the Word of God says, no matter how you can spend a lifetime teaching them the Bible, but if they don't have the Spirit, they're just not going to get it. They're not going to understand it. It's going to be meaningless to them. It's going to go in through one year and out the other. They just can't understand it. Verse 16 rounds out this passage by quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, on the deep and mysterious ways of God. However, it echoes the thought of verses 7 and 10 through 12, that's, that some of this mystery has been removed now. It's been revealed, or this mystery is, is gone now that we're in the Messianic age. As a result... And what he means at the end of verse 16 is that the Spirit brings Christ's thoughts to believers by living in them. Now, the Bible speaks a lot about the Holy Spirit. The Bible speaks a lot about the third person of God's triune nature. All kinds of verses about the Holy Spirit what I'm going to do is just talk about what's going on here in, this, in these last few verses. I'm going to focus on just the three, on three facts Paul told us in, in verses 11 through 16 about the Spirit of God. Firstly, the Holy Spirit comes from God and is given to you. The Spirit can't be earned through good works or bought with worldly riches. You can't demand it. You can't, manipulate, you can't manipulate God to give Him to you. Nor can you take Him without your consent. In Acts chapter 8, there's a story of a man named Simon who offered money to the apostles after seeing that the Spirit had been given through the laying of the hands, through the laying of their hands. After he had offered the money, Peter rebuked him and said in Acts chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, May your silver be destroyed with you because you, have, you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have, no part or you have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right with God or before God. The truth is, God freely gives His Spirit to those who wholeheartedly place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When you become a born-again believer, He gives you His Spirit. 
at Pentecost, after Peter had been given, after Peter had given his first sermon, he tells those listening to him, and after they, he, he gives his sermon, and they're like, we understand what you're saying, what do we do now? What are we supposed to do? In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, this is how Peter responds. He says, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in Ezekiel, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, God said this through, this, through the prophet Ezekiel, I will give you a spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So you see, he's ready just to give you his spirit. He's ready just to, to hand you and just to give you his spirit. And all you've got to do is just accept it. All you've got to do is just receive it. All you have to do is open the door to your heart, to Jesus. You just have to surrender your life to, to the Lord. Stop fighting Him. Start arguing with Him. Start saying, no, Lord, I, 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 there's too much for me to accomplish. There's too much for me to do. I need to live my life first. No. I'm telling you now that God will never reveal truth to you. God will never reveal. He just, he, it's going to be difficult. You need to just completely surrender your life to the Lord and allow Him to change your heart from within. When you allow Jesus to come into your life, into your heart, to live there, He's going to change you from the inside out. You're going to start seeing things in a different way. Secondly, the Holy Spirit teaches you wisdom from God. This passage teaches us that, that God's Spirit explains spiritual things to spiritual people. The Holy Spirit who dwells within us searches the depths of God and longs to reveal His ways, the ways of our Heavenly Father. He longs to teach what it, what it is to be a lover of God in a world set in opposition to the ways of God. He longs to reveal to us the wisdom of God's plans and shows us the folly that comes with living for the world. As God begins to reveal Himself to you and the deep truths, and another word for that, God's inscrutable ways, you will be absolutely amazed and your understanding about everything will radically change. It will just blow, again, it's just going to blow you away. J.I. Packer said this, Not until we become humble and teachable, standing in awe, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, Acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom be ours? And thirdly, the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to have a correct perspective about yourself, about others, and about the world around you. One of the marks of maturity is discernment. The ability, that's the ability to penetrate beneath the surface of life and see things as they truly are. The maturing Christian grows in his spiritual discernment and develops the ability, with the Spirit's help, to understand more and more the will and the mind of God. Unsaved people, however, walk by sight and are spiritually blind. They don't understand the Christian or understand what the Christian life is all about because they live too completely, they live in two completely different worlds. But the Christian can understand the unsaved person 
and their perspective. He can see their perspective and see why they do things a certain way because they know what it's like to be spiritual blind, spiritually blind. The general message here, Paul is making in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, is that the source of true wisdom comes from God himself. He himself, Paul exemplified this kind of wisdom by presenting the gospel message simply and plainly when he first met them. He explained how this divine wisdom is what distinguishes the believers from the non-believers by revealing what is unknown to become fully understood. And he demonstrated how the Holy Spirit teaches others and explains this divine wisdom so that we may have a correct understanding or correct perspective about us, others, and the world around us. So you see, this wisdom can't be attained by just getting all the information on the internet. It can't be attained by reading textbooks. You can read, the, memorize the entire Bible and still not know who God really is. The only way to really know, the only way to really receive and obtain this kind of wisdom is by opening your, opening your heart to Him, by receiving, by being born again, by just surrendering your life to Jesus. I mean, I would rather have the wisdom of God, even if it's the size of a grain of salt, than to have all the knowledge in the world and to memorize all the encyclopedias, to memorize all of Wikipedia. Because His wisdom is grand. His wisdom is above all else. No mind has known, no ear has heard, no eye has seen how great God is. But if we do, but if you are willing, if you are open to it, God can reveal His truth. God can give you His wisdom. And as I said, it's just going to blow you away. So much the Lord wants to show you. And He wants to do through you, in you and through you. How much of that will you allow Him to? It's wisdom. Wisdom that comes from above. We're going to be celebrating communion this morning. And, but before we do, I want to just take a quick moment to invite anybody that's listening or watching and just to invite anyone that wants to receive God's wisdom to, to that they have access to it. If that's you, if you've heard this message and you're like, that's, yeah, I want to receive it. I want to get it. I want to accept it. And if that's you and you want to be born again and receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, then in the quietness of your heart, wherever you're at, just bow your head, close your eyes, and with a sincere heart, just pray this. Sim just pray the simple prayer. Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I come before the cross and repent of my sins. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that He has forgiven me of my sins. I accept your forgiveness that comes through Christ's death. I believe He is God. I believe He is Lord. And I ask you, fill me with your Spirit now, Lord, so that I may live a new life for you, to understand you, to understand the wisdom that you have in store for me. 
Help me, Lord, to live my life completely devoted to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, if you prayed that, let us know. Contact us. Share with us what's going on. We'll talk to you. We'll spend more time with you and, and tell you what, what some of the next steps are. But you need to have that fellowship. You need to continue to grow. You just can't do it on your own. Let's, let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, so much information here that you've presented to us, that you've given us through 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Lord. We're amazed that you're willing to reveal your love and just your wisdom, your infinite wisdom to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. Lord, we pray for our friends and family members who don't know you, that they will come to the saving knowledge of your Son, that they will experience the joy that we have, that they will experience and have the wisdom that we have. Lord, thank you for what you've done, all that you've given us freely. It's not anything we've earned. It's not anything that we can buy. You've just given us freely, given it to us freely by just believing in your Son. So we thank you, Lord, and we just pray that you will continue to reveal your truths, your wisdom to us. Bless this next time, Lord, as we get together and just talk a little and we lift, uplift one another. And we also pray for all the women coming back from the retreat, the conference that we're at, Lord. Um, keep them safe. And may they come back also just completely on fire for you, Lord. We love you. We praise you, Lord. Bless this next week. Keep us safe. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.